Let's pray. Father, I ask you that through your word and by your spirit now, the fearlessness and the greatness of our joy would be freshly, firmly rooted in the Lordship of Jesus. And that you would open our eyes. This is what Paul prayed in Ephesians 1.17, that the eyes of your people would be open to see and to know God, the greatness of God, the inheritance of God, the power of God, freshly seen by saints. So come. I pray and do that for all of us. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. So we're focusing on verses 10 and 11. Again, fourth time in Advent, the angel said to the shepherds, fear not. So underline that. That's one of the, the big points. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Underline that. Fearless, great joy. And then here comes the reason, the foundation, the argument. Because unto you is born this day in the, in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's my assignment. So we've been talking about Christ and Savior. But now I get to focus on Lord. So my question is this. How does the Lordship of Jesus make possible your fearless, great joy in 2022? How does that work? Because it's given as a ground. It's given as an argument, a support. It's supposed to hold up your fearlessness and your joy. How, how does it? Will it? Does it right now for you? That's where we're going. Verse 10, let's make sure you see it. Fearlessness, don't be afraid, fear not. And great, not small, not middle, great joy has come into the world because this baby is the Lord. And the question is, what does that mean? So someone says to me, now, perhaps, Piper, don't you know the sky is falling? It's falling on your family. It's falling on this church. It's falling on this city. Open your eyes, Piper. It's falling on the world. It's called Omicron. We have no idea where this is going to end. Good grief. What's this fearless, great joy? So the aim of this sermon is to enable you to answer that person, okay? What will you say to the person when you tell them, I've got great joy and I'm fearless because of the Lordship of Jesus, and they say, open your eyes, you're an idiot. The sky is falling on this planet. What are you going to say? So we'll end there, and I'll give you my answer, but you will be able to give the answer if you're listening to these 
six wonders of the Lordship of Christ. So my approach now is simply to take the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to get all my points from the Gospel of Luke. I might cheat one time to go outside Luke, but all my points from the Gospel of Luke about how the Lordship of Jesus supports fearlessness and great joy. And so here they are, I'll name the six and then, and then we'll take them one at a time. He is a divine Lord. He's a historical Lord. He is an all governing Lord. He is an everlasting Lord. He is a God glorifying Lord and he's a happy Lord. So number one, your fearlessness and your great joy in 2022 is possible because he is a divine Lord. Meaning, when you say Jesus is Lord, you mean nothing less, if you're a Christian, you mean nothing less than Jesus is God. Luke is all about this, all over the gospel. I'll just give you three pointers. In the first two chapters of Luke, the word Lord is used 27 times. 25 of them refer to God. Two refer to Jesus. Watch this. Let's just go to verse 9. An angel of the Lord, God, appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord, God, shone around them. Two verses later, verse 11, unto you is born Christ the Lord. No hesitation, no qualification. The Lord God sends the angel, the Lord God shone around them, and the child born is the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 26 Jesus is called the Lord's Christ. Interesting phrase. The Lord's Christ. And then in chapter 2, verse 11, he's called Christ the Lord. And when I read those, I think, huh. That sounds like John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the word was God. Like, whoa, what in the world does that mean? The word Christ was with God, and the word was God. That sounds very much like he is the Lord's Christ, and he is Christ the Lord. I guess Luke's way of saying, you get it? That's my first pointer to the divine lordship. Here's number two. The virgin birth is meant to communicate this baby is divine and human. Luke chapter one, verse 31, Gabriel tells Mary, you're gonna have a baby. And in verse 34, Mary, in all meekness, asks, how? I'm a virgin. Virgins don't have babies. And verse 35 gives God's answer 
through Gabriel. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God, of the same nature as God. This is not the crass slander of religions that say God had sex with Mary and so you got this divine human baby. A third of the planet believes that. That's not the way it happened. The point here is this, the Holy Spirit is making clear that no human father is needed here for this miracle. This is going to be an unfathomable miracle in Mary's womb. So there will be a child with two natures, a child with a human nature because Mary and a child with a divine nature because the Holy Spirit wrought this miracle in her. So he is a God-man, Jesus the Lord. That's pointer number two. Here's pointer number three to the divine lordship. How does this gospel end and send us on our way? What should be ringing in our ears? This is what the gospel was about, Luke. So let's go to the end of the book. Just listen if you want, but it's chapter 24, 51 and 52. These are the last verses. This is what is left in our ears as a reader of a divinely inspired gospel. It says, while Jesus blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up to heaven and they worshiped him. That's not idolatry. They worshiped him because you don't worship men unless they are a God man. They worshiped him <laughs> and it ends and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. That's no accident. That great joy is the way the gospel begins and great joy is the way the gospel ends. That's no accident. And it's tied to the Lordship of Jesus both times. He's Christ the Lord. He's worshiped. Great joy world. That's the point of the world. Jesus came into the world to be worshiped and he will be worshiped. The world will be filled with the glory of the Lord like the waters cover the sea. So my first reason for why the Lordship of Jesus supports your fearless joy in 2022 is that it is a divine Lordship. Brooks no competitors, he's God. When you say, as every Christian does from the heart, Jesus is Lord, my Lord, you mean nothing less than Jesus is my God, my Lord and my God, as Thomas said. Number two, 
the fearlessness and greatness of your joy in 2022 is possible because he is a historical Lord. And what I mean by that is the narratives, the, the record, the story of his birth and life and death and resurrection are not mythological. They're not part of Greek myth. It didn't happen in Middle Earth. It didn't, didn't happen on a galaxy far, far away. Why else do you think would Luke go out of his way to mention all these secular people and places that everybody who's not a Christian knows about? You don't need to be a Christian to get it. Chapter 1, verse 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, or verse 26 of chapter 1, Mary was from a city of Galilee named Nazareth. It's still there. And then it says that uh, Joseph is from Bethlehem, a town just outside Jerusalem. Still there. And then verse uh, 1 and 2 of chapter 2, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Every secular historian knows who that is, when he lived. That all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor. Who cares? Except that it's a big flag saying, this really happened. <laughs> Quirinius was governor. It's like Jesus was born when Tim Waltz was governor. Jacob Fry was the mayor. Joe Biden was the president. It really happened. Everybody knows these people. That's the point. It's not mythological. It really happened. I mean, you look around this room, like you feel like these people are really here. Look at that. There's a person next to me. They, they are no more real than Jesus. In fact, he's more real because he made everybody in this room. Re reality roots in Jesus. That's number two. He can uphold your joy. He's real. This is not a myth. Third, the fearlessness and greatness of your joy is possible in 2022 because Jesus is an all-governing Lord all-governing Lord. Just run through the gospel with me. I'll just mention them. You don't have to look them up. A boat in the middle of a storm. Jesus is asleep. They cry out, Master, we're perishing. He wakes up and he rebukes the wind and the waves. And they, and they stop. <laughs> and the disciples say, who is this that even the winds and the water obey him? <laughs> I mean, just the very concept is ludicrous. Obey. Wind obeys. Water obeys. Why? He made them. Demons, they come out. They come out crying, you're the son of God. And he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak. 
The devil and his minions can't do anything without permission from Jesus. He's Lord of the devil. We don't live in a dualistic universe like two big powers duking it out to see who's going to win. It's over, folks. The devil knows it's over. Remember that statement where he says he knew that his time was short? I mean, the devil's an idiot, and I'm saying it out loud so he hears me. I don't mind getting on his wrong side. It's the only safe place to be. He's an idiot. He knows he's going to lose, and he's making it worse for himself all the time by wrecking the lives of God's elect. Diseases. All those who had any disease were healed. Luke 4:40. He laid his hands on every one of them and they were healed. No healer has ever been like this. I mean, there are healings in the world, right? And every healer fails. They usually blame it on your faith or something like that. But Jesus never failed. If he prayed for somebody to be healed, they were healed. Sovereign over disease. What about death? So the widow the widow's coming out. She's weeping her eyes out. Her only son is in the casket, and Jesus walks up, feels compassion, puts his hand on the casket, and says, says to the dead man, like he talks to wind and he talks to dead people, rise. He's up. He's the sovereign of life and death. What about the human will? We're so in America especially, but the modern world is this way through and through. We're so confident that we have self-determining, sovereign, ultimate determination of our will. I will decide this and that. (laughs) Idiots we are. Listen to this word from Luke 10. All things have been handed over to be by my father No one knows the Son or who the Son is except the Father or who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. You think you saw Jesus on your own? You think you saw God as your Father on your own? So he's the Lord who governs all natural events No demons can do anything apart from his permission. All disease is under his control, including the pandemic. He raises the dead and governs all of life and death. And he opens the blind eyes of everybody who comes to Jesus. But you don't have to leave chapters one and two to see that. You can stay right here. And this is my favorite. I just love Luke and his way of describing the sovereignty and all governing lordship of Jesus because um, he reverses the butterfly effect. I, w- I wonder if you're all as ignorant as I am because I don't know what in the world is the butterfly effect. There's a whole series of videos uh, called the butterfly effect. The butterfly effect is this. A butterfly flaps his wings in Brazil and a tornado happens in Oklahoma. That's the butterfly effect. And it's a very serious scientific concept among chaos theory. Um, Meaning there's just a thousand links 
along the way that goes somewhere. Nobody can figure this out. <laughs> Surprise. So what do I mean by saying the reverse, the reverse of the butterfly effect, which is in this text. You wonder, what in the world has this got to do with Luke? The reverse of the butterfly effect is something like, I made this up, a, a hurricane happens in the Gulf of Mexico and a Chinese student at the University of Beijing stumbles his way into a Christian fellowship and gets saved. Where's that in this text? Well, just think about it. God chooses Mary to be the mother of his son. He chooses Joseph to be the betrothed and they both live where? Nazareth, wrong city, right? Micah, the prophet said, this child's gonna be born in Bethlehem and God chooses a virgin in Nazareth. Oops, there's no oops here. This is for our enjoyment, if you enjoy things like I do. So how will he solve this problem of getting Mary to the right city so the prophecy can be fulfilled. Answer, I will go to the most powerful person on the planet, Caesar Augustus, and I will put it in his heart that he shall dec decree that there shall be an empire-wide registration involving millions and millions of people to get this girl 70 miles south. I like that. I think that's awesome. I think Luke liked it too. That's the reverse butterfly flick. Move the empire. I got a girl who needs to be in Bethlehem within a few months. Get it done. Why not choose a virgin in Bethlehem? <laughs> because God's a holy show off if you will allow it. He loves to show such things about himself. And you know, you know, don't you, this is happening today. Do you think, Christian, do you think that the great events that are being played out on the stage of this world are about nations and industries? They're not. They're not. They're about you. Oh. God governs the world for the sake of his children. Why else would he? That was an encouraging word you gave to me between services about the butterfly effect in his life, like a, a pandemic results in him coming to the seminary here. That's it. That's it. Give the world a pandemic. I got a student in Texas. I want him to go to Bethlehem. And of course, God is doing 10 million things at once. He never is frustrated, never drops the ball. He always knows what he's up to. Oh, how we should be fearless and happy in 2022 with an all-governing Lord Jesus. Number four, 
The fearlessness and greatness of your joy is possible because Jesus is an everlasting Lord. Look at, if you want to, Luke 1.31. You will conceive, Mary, this is Gabriel talking to Mary. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob, underline it, forever. Unless we miss it, he says, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus is Lord forever. There are no battles on the horizon he's going to lose and somebody else take over. If you are his subject in this room now, by virtue of heartfelt allegiance and faith, you are my Lord. You will live forever. You will be ruled in his kingdom with joy forever. Sometimes people say, Ah, all that pie in the sky by and bys of no earthly use, to which I always drop my jaw and say, you, you got to live on another planet, fella. If you believed you could never die, you think that would make no difference in your life? You're crazy. What else will produce radical people? You can't kill me. Make my day. I don't get that. I think pie in the sky, which is not pie, is radically life-changing. I mean, give me a break. If you walk out of this room deeply, emotionally, thoroughly confident, I'm home. I'm home. I'm as safe as if I were in the presence of Jesus now, which is what you are, according to Colossians 3. My life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ appears, then I will appear with him in glory. If you believe that, you'd live your life very differently than if you didn't. Oh, yes, you would. Fear, 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 fear. Hebrews 2.14 says we are held in lifelong bondage by the fear of death. And Jesus came at Christmas to destroy the one who has the power of death, the devil. Oh, that you might be set free by the everlasting lordship of Jesus. Number five, the fearlessness and greatness of your joy is possible in 2022 because he is, the Lord Jesus, is a God-glorifying Lord. 525, Luke 525, the lame man is healed that came down through the roof and he went home glorifying God. 526, all the people saw it and they glorified God and filled with awe. 716, when he raised the widow's son, fear seized them all and they glorified God. The woman with her back bent over, remember, for 18 years, God, Jesus straightened her up and and she glorified God. Chapter 18, verse 43, the blind beggar saw, followed him, glorifying God. <laughs> it's obvious what the point is. 
Jesus came into the world, did his ministry so that people would join him in glorifying God. That is, displaying the glory of God for people to see. But you don't need to leave our text right here in chapter 2 to see that. Verse 12 of chapter 2, the angel gives the shepherd a sign. It's a really good sign. It's, it's that the baby will be in a feeding trough. That's a good sign because there aren't any other babies in feeding troughs in, in Bethlehem. You can find him. He's the only one. But before the shepherd could blurt out all his questions, like, that makes no sense. <laughs> I mean, if you're serious, like he's Christ, the Savior, the Lord, the promise fulfiller, the ruler of the universe, he's going to be trading in a, in a feeding trough. That makes no sense. Before, before he could say that, the heavens filled with armies of angels. That's, the word, that's what the word hosts means. Hosts. The hosts of heaven. The sky just lit up with, what, 200 million maybe? I don't know if they all came or not. Lots. Multitudes of heavenly armies saying, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God. So, which means what? The point of the birth is that God is glorious. That's the point of the birth. God is glorious. The angels say so. And you might think, well, duh. No, no. 98% of the world does not think that's the point. Bigger than 98%. I would say. They would say, look, if he sent a savior to save man, if he sent a Christ, a Messiah, to fulfill promises to man, if he is the Lord who works everything together for the good of man, then the angel should have said, glory to man in the highest and on earth, great man. That's what they should have said. That's what the world believes. Everything you look at says that. Everything you read, all the movies, all the advertisements, all the newspapers, all the websites, man is glorious and it's about me. I mean, where? Where would you look that the point of the universe and its central event is meant to say, God is glorious? And that is the point. That's the point. And the angels are not mistaken. If you join the world in displacing God from the supreme place that he has as the point and the goal and the end of everything, you don't gain status. You lose God. And with God, you lose great joy. Which brings me now to the last wonder of the Lordship of Jesus. The fearlessness and the greatness of your joy now at Christmas and in the new year is possible because Jesus is a happy Lord. 
And as a happy Lord, he is the embodiment, the perfect embodiment of the Lord's happiness, God's happiness. We could say right here in verse 14 um, and see that. So let's do that first. And then I'm going to go to, to chapter 15 to end. These angels here in verse 14 who are crying out by the tens of thousands, glory to God, are not renegades. They're not enemies of God. They're doing what God said they're supposed to do. Psalm 103.20 says, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. That's what they do. Angels obey. If they don't, they're not angels anymore. They're demons. So when they're there saying, glory to God, glory to God, they're on a mission to say what God feels about this moment. It's about me. It's about my glory. And they are not begrudging. They're not saying, well, I wish we didn't have to say this. This is so hard to say. <laughs> they are exuberant and overflowing with what? God's celebration of God. They're angels of God. And they're on a mission to say glory to God. God is very happy being God, you know. He really loves being God. He loves his son. The son loves the father. The Holy Spirit is the fullness of that love and joy. There is a Vesuvius of joy in the Trinity forever. He didn't need us to make him happy. But the amazing thing about God is that he's gracious. And our salvation does make him happy. So let's go to chapter 15. I really do encourage you to turn there with me because we'll, we'll end here pretty much. Luke 15 is the chapter that only Luke tells, nobody else. And it's the parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son, which is usually called the par parable of the prodigal son, very famous parable. And most of you have heard, probably, if you've been in the church for a while anyway, that the, the reason for those three parables are to explain verses 1 and 2, where Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. And that doesn't make sense to the Jewish rulers. Like, you're supposed to avoid tax collectors and sinners, and you eat with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus now tells three parables to explain what he's doing. He's finding lost coins. He's finding lost sheep. And he's finding lost sons. That's what he's doing. So when you read, for example, in um, verses 9 and 10 of Luke 15, rejoice with me, the, the woman who had lost her coin and now she's found it. Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. And she represents Jesus finding lost sinners as he eats with them. And Jesus adds this to, to that word. Just so I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
Now notice the wording very carefully. It doesn't say there is joy among the angels of God over one sinner who repents, which is no doubt true. It's just not what he says. He says there is joy before, in front of, in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. There's only one person left in heaven if you're not talking about angels. That's the joy of God. This is meant to confirm the angel's words, glory to God in the highest with exuberance and great joy. Or let's be more, even more clear. Chapter 15, verse 20. The son has squandered his father's entire inheritance. Prostitutes and who knows what else. And the money's gone. He's eating pig food, and he comes to his senses to a measure and says, I'll go home to my father, and maybe if, if I'm lucky, that's probably the way he said it, I could be a slave and all my needs would be met, and I'll just serve my father as a slave. So he heads home, and now we read what happens. Verse 20, middle of the verse. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran. <laughs> An old man, probably, running. This is undignified. And embraced him and kissed him. And skip a few words. And he said, bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Celebrate. This is God talking. For this my son was dead and is alive and he was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. And lest we don't fill up the word celebrate, celebrate with, with all the necessary joy, he says to the older son in verse 32, Remember, the older son was grumbling. He represents the Pharisees, grumbling that Jesus would eat with tax collectors and sinners. He says, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So Luke's view of the all-glorious, God-glorifying God, what makes God happy is that he is made happy by the joy of his people rediscovering the happy goodness of their father. That's what makes God graciously happy. When his joyful children rediscover the happy goodness of their father. When the angel said in verse 14, so now we, we're back to 2.14 and, and we'll end here. When the angel said in 2.14, 
glory to God in the highest, that was not at the expense of the happiness of people. Okay. Glory to God and to hell with the rest of you. I don't really care about you. I just want God to be glorious. That's not what happens, right? This was not, this, this celebration of the supremacy of God and that God is the ultimate end of all things and this birth was about making God look glorious. That's not at the expense of people. On the contrary, it is the highest good of people. It's the ultimate joy of people. I mean, if you take the word Savior, Christ, Lord, then seeing and savoring and being caught up in the glory of God is the salvation of God's people. That's what salvation is. I get to see, I get to savor, I get to be caught up into his glory. That's my salvation. Or Messiah, he comes to fulfill all the promises. And what is the fulfillment of all the promises but to see and to savor and to be caught up into and share God's happiness in being God and glorious? Or lordship. He rules the world for the good of his people and the good of his people is seeing and savoring and being caught up in the glory of God. So glory to God in the highest and peace among those with whom he's pleased on earth. Glory to God, peace to those with whom he's pleased. He gets the glory, we get the peace. Are you upset about that? <laughs> the world is upset about that. I know people who are very dear to me who are upset about that, who do not like it. That the ultimate good of humans is to find peace in God getting glory. You've got to be, well, let's end with this. What does Paul say in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3? He says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That's what he says. No one can say, you are Lord. You are my Lord. I gladly submit. I am so thrilled to be included in your kingdom where you are supreme. Nobody can talk like that except by the miracle of the Holy Spirit opening your eyes to how satisfying that is. Which is why your act in embracing Jesus as Lord is a free act. The Holy Spirit moves preachers like me right now to preach a message like this. He, he moves preachers to speak the word of God. So coming out of my mouth is word of God. And then he takes the word of God, 
presses it into human hearts and liberates them from the bondage of the deceit that my being my own Lord is preferable to God being Lord. That's what the work of the Holy Spirit is. He takes the word, he applies it to your mind and your heart so that you are suddenly free from the bondage of deceit. I want to be Lord. And now you walk out of this room maybe in a minute and you say, I'm, I'm free. I don't believe that anymore. I'm free. And you believe. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Fearless great joy. So we're done, and our naysayer says, good grief, Piper. The sky is falling. It's falling on your family. It's falling on your church. It's falling on your city. Can't you see that? You read the newspaper. It's falling on the world with a pandemic, and who knows what other kinds of horrible things are going to happen in 2022, and you are telling those people to be fearless and great Enjoy. What are you going to say to him? Here's what I would say. I hope you'll say it. They say, don't you know the sky is falling? And you say, perhaps. That's all you know. Perhaps. And if it is, then my divine, historical, all-governing, everlasting, God-glorifying, happy, Lord Jesus is in charge of the sky falling. And he will make it serve the fearlessness and the greatness of the joy of his church. That's why he rules the world. And so, why don't you all just come on in? <laughs> instead, of, instead of hanging back with... Don't you know the sky is falling? Why don't you just come on in? It's really good in here. I mean, in Christ. And I feel free to really look at all of you and say that because um, Paul said in, in Romans 10, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. So, Father, I pray that saints here would be made fearless and, and happy and confident in living out whatever 2022 brings and facing whatever trials Christmas brings. And I pray that if, if any who is outside Christ looking in on this message as a perplexed listener would hear the Holy Spirit, feel the Holy Spirit opening their eyes and taking away the deceit that self-lordship is better than Christ's lordship. To do that liberating work, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.